Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of Archivist's Best on Sexy Witches, a podcast from the geek girl's perspective, and I am the head hauntress. How are you all doing, folks? I had a kind of an interesting weekend. We've only been a week since our last show. Uh, for folks that are into the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness, uh, last Tuesday we did a special one-hour show devoted to this year's 10th anniversary of the madness. So go have a listen to that if you haven't. If you're here to hear our regular show, I'm glad you're here, too. Uh, we have two more shows. This is March Madness, ladies and gentlemen, with tonight's show, and we're going to have one more back-to-back show next week. So we're doing three shows back-to-back here. Uh, this one tonight, though, we uh, only have one of our regular sexy witches on at this point, but let me go ahead and bring her on from Clifton Forge, New Jersey. Look for this uh, po- the sexy porn witch at the media convention nearest you. Uh, she just attended Monster Mania weekend in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I was lucky enough to join her for one day on Saturday. So please welcome to the show my sexy porn witch, Erin Marie. How are you doing, girl? I am doing quite well. And you said Clifton Forge where? <laughs> Clifton Forge, Virginia. Very good. There we yeah. go. You said New Jersey. I, <laughs> I said New yeah, Jersey. I was like, no. I, was, I, no. I have Jersey on the brain, clearly. Yeah, I, yeah, I still have Jersey, Jersey on the brain, too. Oh That's why God. I'm Jersey. absolutely certain we... We have to go to John Waters. Yeah. So, so we're going to start this show. Well, I, money is kind of tight right now for that. Um, one one the, night. The, no, we'll talk about it. There might be an alternative. <laughs> Instead of going to that, I might be able to afford, because also that month is Cinema Wasteland, and I'm almost thinking I'd rather go to that. Um, so... Um, because I, I really want to go see Cinema Wasteland myself at some point. But uh, anyway, we'll talk. Or, and also, um, Chiller's coming, and I can't afford that one. So and that's also New Jersey, and that's Parsippany, because I can afford that one because I can stay at my friend Kim's house, and she can be my uh, photographer for that show. So uh, so that's another thing, is if I can't talk, go to the Horry Jersey Horror Fest coming up, which will be on our show. We will highlight it and preview it. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We have another fucking show to talk about. We have about a half an hour to do it. So we should fucking talk about that show, should we not? Yes, we should. It yes, was quite we a should. weekend. Um, 
Yes, uh, we were att- we attended Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Uh, Monster Mania has three shows throughout the year: two in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and one in- here, you know, closer to me here in Annapolis, up in Hunts Valley, uh, um, Maryland. And that used to be the same location that um, Horror um, Horrifying, my first convention I ever went to, used to be in. So I know that space quite well. Um, this show is much larger than that show. I guarantee you that. I actually was kind of blown away how large Monster Mania was. It was, I think, the biggest in size, volume, I've ever yeah, been Yeah, the, the last time I went was in 2013. It was the second convention I ever went to, so it was, it was about the right size. It was 21,000 that weekend, I think. It's and I, I don't know. I, Have we heard the numbers yet on what this weekend was? No, I heard that they had their like highest one day total, but I haven't gotten the number. And that was Saturday, unfortunately, the day I was there. Oh my god, it, it was insane. Now I was actually rather pleased. I found the queue to buy tickets and got in relatively quickly, so I was happy about that. It actually moved pretty well, but it was. So jam-packed in there. I mean, it look, was definitely you, worth having the VIP for. I'll tell you that. Well, for you guys, yes. I was only there for the day, so it wasn't cost-efficient to get a <laughs> VIP for me. But I will say, and this is a good thing, having off-site like hotel was the right answer because we would not have been able to park at the main hotel, even oh, if we had. Oh, there's a room. no way. There was no way you could park. There was. Lot, the queue was insane. And Uber was quite out. efficient. Uh, you know, and, yeah, it wasn't from lack of people not being organized. This was a pretty organized event. Everything was running as it was. Like I said, I got tickets pretty quickly, and I got in just fine. I, ha- I had one little snafu. I had one little snafu on Friday. Uh, we had our John Cusack photo op ticket for 640. That was the photo op, and they told us to come 15 minutes early. We got up there about 6.25, 6.30, and they stuck us in the side room where people were sitting down waiting to get into line so that they didn't have to just stand all around all the time. And mm-hmm. uh, it turns out they stuck us in the autograph line instead of the photo op, and we missed it. So uh-huh. they they shuffled us right to the front of the autograph line so we didn't have to wait. And they told us to come back first thing on Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And we went right to the front, so it was yeah, it was easy so, peasy. I mean, they, yeah, so they made they more than made up for it, and you didn't have oh, to worry yeah. about queuing. Matter of fact, your sister actually was able when there was like a quick lull, was able to run down, buy a poster she wanted to get, go back up to the autograph line, she got it signed in only like a forty-five exactly. minutes. Exactly, she got serendipity. So she did really, really good. And so for that, the, having that gold VIP, if you really need to see John Cusack, would have been worth the money because getting in to see John Cusack was going to be insane. I never got near Oh, it him. was totally um, nuts. Yeah. The John Cusack yeah, line got... was wrapped all the way through the lobby and down where the couches were by the restaurant. Yeah, and of course the I mean, that line was... was... Not yeah, and and the Stranger Things kids, of course, like just like Days of the Dead, their line was never short either. It stayed long the entire day. Adorable kids, oh my god, so many like eleven, twelve, thirteen year olds, all really, really into Stranger Things, and it's so exciting to see these kids and and knowing that these are the future of the horror that they're getting something this good, this young. Oh, they're so, so uh, cute. You know, 
Yeah. You uh, weren't there for excited. the thing panel, were you? No, I was not. Tell me about the thing panel. <laughs> oh, my God. Wilfred Brimley is so funny. Um, the dude who played Windows, the guy with, like, the big afro and headphones who does all the radio equipment and shit like that in the thing, um, Thomas Waits is his name, could not stop laughing. I mean, I felt like somebody needed to give him a depends because he was going to piss himself. But every time Wilfred opened his mouth, it's just he had the audience in stitches. But he was talking about how when um, John Carpenter handed him the axe and just told him, just go ahead and just smash all the radio equipment now. He said, when people say that, that, you know, what's my motivation or what's my subtext here, he, he said, that's horseshit. He handed me an axe and I just went, okay, and just started smashing everything. He said, I don't, I've never acted. I've just always been myself, and people love me for it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And also, uh, um, I... they were asking how they got the dog to act so proper, I mean, just on commands like that, earlier in the Q&A. And at the end of the Q&A, Wilford Brimley came back to it by saying, you know, this is the first convention I've ever been to. Everybody I've talked to has been so amazing. I had no idea I've touched so many lives. And he was half crying when he was saying this. And then he stopped and he was just like, this has been an absolutely phenomenal weekend. And I love you all. And he pauses about half a beat. He pauses and he goes, and you wanted to know how you got a dog to do tricks? You do half jerk it off first. <laughs> I, I think and the audience just like a god. Yeah, he he was totally into it though. We I watched him sign a little bit, so I didn't have time to get in his line and sign because his line was fairly long for most of the day, which was awesome. I could Wilfred Brindley had a huge line, uh, you know. So, but he kept going. People were like, I know you from the diabetes commercial, and he was totally into it. He was like, Do you have your diabetes meds? No, and people are actually having him sign it on their autograph diabetes men. I know. I mean, every, he loved it. I he was, was so tempted to bring, like, a Quaker Oats canister and have him sign it, but uh, I didn't. Oh, my God. And when I saw that that was awesome. one of the pictures he had on his table was the Quaker Oats advertisement that used to be in magazines, I was like, oh, shit, I have to have that. I was like, I love the thing, but the classic Wilford Brimley, like, mustache grandpa looking, I have to have that. The Quaker Oats meal. Well, I was remembering that I absolutely adored a show called Our House because it starred Our Deidre House Hall. with Deidre Hall. Yeah, and, and we'll yeah, we both watched Days of Our Lives growing up. Yeah, yeah. So I was really <laughs> into that. So I, I remember that show. I wonder if Emily Intrivia remembers because she loves that kind of stuff. And she's so good at watching that stuff. I don't know if she even sucks it in. Like, she she can watch Hallmark commercials, uh, those Hallmark movies and those Lifetime specials, and it doesn't permanently damage her. At least I can't tell if it does. Maybe she just – maybe it eats you from the inside out or something. But she's really good at watching <laughs> that stuff. So I'll have to talk to her about it. I can't wait to talk to her at 930 about – the Beauty and the Beast. Yes, our special guest tonight is um, from. We the should Penn really talk about Adam first. Podcast. Yes. Oh, I'm about to go into Adam. I'm just letting people know what our. Uh, we're going to talk about Beauty and the Beast around 9:30 ish. 
uh, with Emily and Trivia, who have the Feminine Critique podcast, which if you have never listened to his show, listen to their show and their uh, brother's show, The Gentleman's Guides to Midnight Cinema. Both those podcasts rock. Um, and, um, yes, I wanted to also say, because we've still got some time to talk about Monster Mania here, uh, I would say of everything I did, because I did a lot of panels. I actually was there for paneling, and I usually am there for paneling. I actually really enjoy Q&As. Um, the highlight. Yeah, there's the, some of my favorite things, thing. especially at Monster Mania. Yeah, Adam Adam Green was by far my favorite thing of the whole show. I thought Adam Green, uh, the director Adam Green, uh, as people know of Hatchet and Frozen, and um, one of my favorite town footage movies, uh, Digging of the Marrow. Um, he um, and I'm was, so excited about the new project. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll get hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, guys, That's one of the. I got to set. We got to establish mood here. Okay. Uh, this is a last minute addition to I the so to the uh, to the lineup, which was badass. And he did a panel, and he, and Kane Hunter joined him for the second half of the panel. So all of that was awesome, and we had long discussions with him. And we, but the one thing he wouldn't tell us about, right, is his new movie. He has a new movie. It is so close to being released. He could have shown it there. He could have shown it. All it needs is a little sound work and some color correction. It's in the can. The edit is locked, ladies and gentlemen. So look for a brand-new Adam Green movie. Oh, my God. He said at any one of these festivals, at any one of these conventions, he could pop up and show it. He will premiere it within the next month or so. So if you're interested in Hatchet and Hatchet 2 and 3 um, or, or – Digging up the uh, marrow, oh, Frozen, Chillerama. Frozen, Chillerama, he did the, uh, the the Nazi segment in Chillerama. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you're interested in Adam Green he, and what was really liking about him and how encouraging he was to all the quote-unquote – lay people in the audience, people like ourselves, people that are like, we're just young and inspired and, and watch, we just want to meet them for a few minutes to figure out like how cool they are and what makes them tick. And he was good with every person I saw him with, including us. And uh, he was encouraging. And, and when she said, I had a script that I've always wanted to talk to you about, she goes, well, why don't you write it? You know, and, and she's right. Write it. Write the damn script, Aaron. She's absolutely correct. Oh, I need to write the script. You have I an know. idea? You write it. What it's have I so been doing? fucking good, too. And what did I do at Monster Radio? What was the other highlight of Monster Mania for me? What was oh, the scariest we, thing we, I've probably ever slip. done in my life? We got yes. to slip the first 35 pages of your script, Karate Kid Massacre, to yes. William Zapka. Yeah, William Zatka has 35 pages of a script, a slasher, uh, martial arts, 1980s throwback that I wrote called Karate Kid Massacre, or if I have to change the name. I thought we did that quite smoothly, too. Yeah, KKM, uh, Get Him a Body Bag is my alternate title. Uh, (laughs) So so it's basically a slasher movie wrapped around the storyline and the script of Karate Kid. Though it takes place in modern times, it's actually like, it's like if, uh, if you know, but I won't get into it because, anyway, William Zabka, who played Johnny, fucking Johnny in, in Karate Kid, and I already had a huge geek out moment this last summer with John, William Zabka and Mark Cove because I did the uh, photo op at Scared the Cares, and I told him about the script, and he's like, well, why don't you, know, do you have it? I'm like, Oops. no, I don't have it. Uh, well, actually, I did, but I couldn't print it out. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> But so 
when Monster Mania found out and Ralph Macchio, who I hadn't met and gotten a signature yet, was going to Monster Mania, I decided to bribe my best friend to help me drive up on Saturday. And that was the other thing. I'm just kind of sad that I didn't get to see him until the second day when he was, like, tired and worn out and ready to leave. Uh, Marcia Machia was very, very fatigued, and I, I had to. It was like I was rushing both times. I really wanted to ask him a couple questions, and one of them was about a short he did called "Wax On, Fuck Off," and um, it's a fan <laughs> film that he did for Comedy or Die about him not aging and still looking like, uh, you know, Ralph Macchio, and he does. It is freaky how little this guy has aged in 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 30 years i i mean you look yeah, at he him said he's, he's played still, 16 for 27 years he looks a little older around the eyes you can see it if you look at his eyes he's clearly not a teenager anymore but when you touch up his headshot which is the one i got signed he doesn't really look any different i mean william zapka looks like an adult version of himself gorgeous still tall and looks like he can still kick your ass uh, and Martin Cove yeah, exactly. is in his 60s. He looks like he's in his 60s, right? He's starting to look like, you know, he's pushing the back ass of 60, and he's been around for a long time. Ralph Macchio, he's just like still a teenager. He's like the Dick Clark of his generation, I guess. It's really funny. <laughs> so he doesn't look the same. But, yeah, he was. We, we caught him at the last minute. And, actually, he was really good. It was his handler that was pushing us. Um uh, he actually, okay. his, handler, his handler was hitting on me the night before. <laughs> I didn't realize oh it God. until I got up there. Uh, yeah, it was so funny. I was in the bar and I was getting a drink and I was talking to somebody that I had talked to previously that, that day that pe- that guy was bumming the cigarettes off of Gary. And um, he was like, thank you. And I was like, excuse me. And he looked at my chest. and He was like, thank you from all of us here. Thank you for that. <laughs> dress. I was like, oh, well, you're totally welcome. That's what it's for. <laughs> well, you, you weaponize your boobs at these things, usually. You know, and, and speaking of the cues, I wanted to go back to the huge cues because remember when we went up to Adam Green and there was this ginormous queue there and he had just went to his table, like he just arrived. So we thought, well, maybe it's a big queue waiting for Adam Green because, fuck it, it's Adam Green, right? Uh, Kane, no, that huge queue was for fucking Kane Hodder. <laughs> Kane Hodder, I don't, I, you know what? I love Kane Hodder. Kane always makes out like a bandit at Monster Mania. How does he do it? How does he get so many people to come out for him? It's not like he doesn't come to every single one of these things. You think these people, like he would run out of fans or something. No, no, there is still more people. Like, there's, like, there's never not a line. Like, I remember at Days of the Dead, the other people from the uh, Friday the 13th that were flanked to him were like, Kane Hodder always has a line. They were making jokes about how Kane Hodder is never not, like, someone's not Never not busy. Waiting. Yeah, never not busy. And when he isn't busy, he's actually out in the fans and doing stuff with them, which I've always appreciated about Kane. He, he's very yeah, interactive exactly. with, his, with his people. Uh, but the first was. night at the VIP party, the first night at the VIP party, I had quite a bit of time to talk with Kane. And he asked me, he was like, did anybody, any other celebrities other than me show up for this? You know, did, did anybody else fulfill their obligation? 
I said, well, the Shining Twins came in, they cut the cake real quick, and they buggied out real quick. And then, then there was, like, two guys from the thing, I believe, that was also there for just a smidge. But no, not really. Kane is the only one who ever really comes out and parties with people. So I do want to say that the, the Shining Twins and the Danny Lloyd panel was pretty delightful and packed. It was absolutely cool to see them, and that was really nice to see how encouraging. That's the one thing I liked. The panel crowds were large for this place, and that made me happy that there was good turnout for every single panel I went to because uh, I really hate it when there's such a great celebrity like Robert Kurtzman scares that cares and six people show up. Robert Kurtzman deserves a lot more people than that, you know, <laughs> and Joe Lansdale, too. It was the same way, you know, so got to support these panels, folks. Go see these guys talk. It's amazing, uh, and you'll learn a lot, and, and a lot of these guys are so approachable. That's why they're doing these shows, because they're not afraid of their public. They like their public, and they want to be. The Alan Hallworth <laughs> concert was just phenomenal. I mean, uh, did you get I, to hear it once it started? Yes, I, I was down there, but I actually left. I was not, that was, remember I told you I suddenly wasn't feeling so well, and I went back up to get my friend. That was not where that happened. So uh, I, so I uh, went back to see my friend. So I saw some of it. It was fine. Uh, there was that concert, and he's like the score I was in for John Carpenter. I was in the hallway, uh, right 20 feet from the stage where he was, performing once he stopped talking because wow did he tell some stories before he really got into it but once he started he played a straight 45 minutes of music and I stayed for maybe about 15 of it but he started with Escape from New York and it was just fantastic I mean I was in awe I loved hearing that live I wish I could have heard They Live I, I wish I could have heard they live as well. Uh, but, you know, celebrities aside, I do want to say, even as crowded as it was, and I missed a shit ton of people, like people I knew were going to be there that we were actually trying to meet, like Richard Cavallaro and Rick Slicka and, and John Jack. Yeah, I had a couple and of And I, I missed, missed a few well. of those folks. Uh, I did see James Naruth of Vinegar Syndrome Table again. I was very pleased to see him again. So, hello, thank you again. And I hope we have more time to talk shop next time. Uh, hey, this time I, I bought really... from Vinegar Syndrome. Yay. Did I tell you that? No, good. No, what would you get? You didn't tell me what you bought. Okay. Uh, let me go. I've got a picture of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, I don't want to mess up the titles. Because apparently it's coming out in this month's uh, monthly package. So, well, also, I got, I, I got to bucks. meet um, James Harris. Got it out is of the, the drive-in the collection. Okay. okay. It's the drive-in collection, Crypt of the Living Dead, and the House of the Living Dead. Double feature. And he sold it to me for $5, so I got a deal. <laughs> cool. And, and um, uh, I did get to meet, like I said, James Harris, Doc Terror, who has been ill, as everyone knows. And we've been I miss James. And, and I got to see James Harris. We sat through the uh, Shining panel and the Adam Green uh, 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 Kane Hodder panels together. Uh, and uh, it was great to see him. We talked for a long time. 
and I was very happy to spend some time and with his father. His father was there too, and I'm so glad to see him out and about, and he got to come and see this because we were all kind of worried he wasn't going to make it to Monster Mania, and he was able to get out of the hospital and go, and that really made made his day, so I'm really glad to see him. Uh, I also finally met Master Giovanni Del Dio out of New York City in the Bronx. Uh, We've been writing and talking for years and years and years. He's been a Madness contestant for years and years and years. He writes for Words of the Master Geo, which covers porn and uh, and Scream Queens and horror. And we met bumping into each other at the Barbara Crampton table, which I thought was hysterical because that's exactly where I would want to meet Giovanni. <laughs> Is that the Barbara? Exactly. So we did our Barbara Crampton signings together, and that was awesome. So I was really happy I got to see him. I got to see some of my vendor boys that I normally get to see, like Joel Robson uh, and uh, Chris Garofalo. Of, uh, you know, and he, he had a special limited edition theme poster that was very, very nice for Quilt Face Studios. Uh, so I got to see them. Did not see Father Evil. I know you got to see him. I knew he was there. I got to see did Father Evil, see yes. Yeah, and I did also – I did also stop at Christopher's booth, and I picked up the um, 8-Bit Jason shirt and the My Bloody Valentine pin that has the blinking minor hat. Yeah. So I, 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 got, not, I added I to my collection. I, I bought was, nothing. I bought nothing. At, it was just so crowded. I couldn't stop at a table I got, and buy anything. Uh, I did get the I got that, I, but that was it. I got um, bath bomb, uh, witch's brew bath bomb, and like a whip. Yeah, I soap. remember that. Uh, that was the uh, last day after you guys had already left. Your sister I had spent, like, a custom, little bit. custom teeth, right? She got new custom teeth. Yeah. Yeah, she got new and fangs looked, from Horror Show Jack. She got the true blood too. fangs. The last yeah, time no, she I bought the underworld fangs. And I have just the basic set, which I did get to wear some there. So, <laughs> so yeah, I remembered to bring them this in. time. Yay. Um, did any of us go to the costume contest? Because I unfortunately did not make it to the costume contest. No, I left no. right before the costume contest. Yeah. Um, that no, was right I after the thing panel. And I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to go back. Oh, uh, I also got to see Danny Moz, uh, who's a friend from the Colonial Theater, also a friend of James Harris, goes to Splatterfest every year. Uh, I got to see him, and I got to see Bucky Schuler, who was actually volunteering for the event, uh, who does horror, sci-fi, and more. Uh, oh, so I actually did I tell did... you about the nurses? No, tell me about the nurses. No, I got stopped by two people the first night. The, the first woman stopped me. She had on a purple wig. And she said, can I take a picture with you? And I was like, no, um, what is this? And, and she said that there's a nurse that uh, was one of the organizers at Monster Mania. And she was a hospice nurse. And her and one of the directors from one of the first two Friday the 13th movies, Cunningham, I think it was Richard Cunningham, her and Richard Cunningham were doing um, a documentary on per- – people that dye their hair purple because they're usually like caretakers or they're happy-go-lucky, their personalities. They usually are the type of people that help others. And they were doing a whole documentary on that. So they were getting pictures with everybody they saw with purple hair. And then later when I was in the bar, after I got hit on by Ralph Macchio's handler, (laughs) 
the the actual nurse, I think I can't remember her name, maybe Michelle, um, came up to me and asked if she could take a picture with me and explain things and she wanted to get a group photo, but I don't think that happened. <laughs> but I thought that was so cool. I got to well, run into all these people like this. Well, it's still a great horror community. It's a really, it's a pretty good show. I think it's a little bit more than I can handle. Now, they were saying that they had never had crowds like that before. Um, everyone was in shock how, how busy it was. So I don't know if that was, was just quite because Don Cusack and the, yeah, well, I was, Really, it made Rocky like Horror quite fun. Oh, I, I didn't go to the Rocky Horror. I did go to the end of the Shining uh, screening, and it was really nice to see how packed it was for people to see a 30-some-year-old movie, you know, and the Shining in particular had, you know, that so many people were there to see it. Some were there for the first time, and seeing it on a big screen is always a good thing with a Kubrick movie. Uh, so well, they had cool. the Philly Shadow cast for Rocky Horror, so it was a nice, really good professional cast, and they did really well. Oh, I, um, I, I'm sure it was great. I, I was just and the callbacks. There was more. There was more than just one person that did not shy away from from the callback you did. It scares the care. Yay! I'm good at the <laughs> callback, man. I know the entire callback script and by heart, and it's sad that I do that, but I do know it, and I love it that I know that. And it'll probably it'll be an art form that will die with my generation. How to do a proper one Rocky of the Horror things that was show. really fun was uh, before Rocky Horror, they had like the newsreel type thing that they had in the '70s that had John Waters and like um, trailers for Phantom of the Paradise. And the girl that happened to be sitting right beside me was the only other person who was singing the Phantom of the Paradise songs in the trailer. Nobody else knew it except for us two. I swear if Awesome Cotton does it again, I have to go this year. Awesome Cotton's looking better and better. I'm getting more excited, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, I want to say that I'm really glad I got to see Monster Mania, especially since I got to see a lot of my friends. I, I don't know if I'd go back up for it because the thing is most of the vendors that I'd want to see, I already know from smaller shows and rather go to those shows so I'd have more time like Scares That Cares with them because Joel Robinson is a great guy to talk to and uh, and it, it's, you know, and talking about his artwork. And you just don't have time at a show like this. It's like, I want that here. Thank you. And you have to go on because there's just so many people. Uh, but but it was really great though. To the panels were packed and and everyone was making money and that was always a good thing. And Jersey is coming out in droves, you know. So that was cool. Um, I do I, I I don't know. We were talking about going to another Jersey show. There's a Jersey Horror uh, Festival coming up, and there's also uh, Chiller is coming up next month. I'm gonna have to choose one or the other. Uh, but uh, I'm really glad, and so, thank you, everybody, in Monster Mania. It was a great time, and I'm glad I got to see everybody. Sorry, also, Martha Mandes- Mandeski, I know you saw her, but I missed her. So shout-out to her and um, like Adam and Angela and everyone that we hung out with uh, over the weekend. So thank you so much. And uh, we're going to about to shift gears. Do you have any final things to say, Erin, before we – change to our main subject of the night oh not that i can think of i i think i covered almost everything <laughs> all right well uh monster mania i will probably i'm thinking about going to the um hunts valley show again because i haven't been to the hunts valley show uh since it has no, become monster mania so 
And that'll be interesting, like, to compare it. Well, it's literally an hour from here. So, uh, you know, at this point, I really have no excuse. Uh, so we'll talk about that later because right now we have some – I don't know if you can call it girl talk about, but definitely some fantasy and so we we got a lot to talk about. So let's get some mood music and I'm about to bring on my guest here tonight. Big change of gears. <laughs> gentlemen i am so excited to bring on my guest uh tonight uh she has her own podcast with chris uh christina makepeace called the feminine critique and what i love about the show and instantly made me a fan is that these folks can talk about anything their pairing of movies could be horror to talking dogs to hallmark christmas shows to Anything, you know, wrestling monkeys, I, they talk about everything, and then they compare it with horror films like See No Evil, and it's just great stuff. They are hysterical. One of my favorite episodes was their episode of High Rise, and, like, just the sheer amount of delight from their confusion made me just an instant fan of these folks. So, and I can't wait to talk about Beauty and the Beast with my girl here. So please welcome to the show from New York City area, Emily and Trivia. How are you doing? Hello. I am. Hello. All right. Good. Hello. You, you, you can hear me okay? Everything good? You sound great. You're yep. on with the Sexy hey. Witches. So Excellent. Uh, I am Hello, Liz Gray and Erin Marie, the Sexy Hornet. I am the head And we are so delighted. I am so excited to finally have you on the show. I've been listening to your podcast now for a while, and it, you just—you are probably there's a lot of people that I like to talk with, shop with, but there's very <laughs> few kindred spirits on the web. Mm-hmm. And you definitely, ma'am, you and Miss Christina are totally kindred spirits to our show. And so, well, I was going to say, I mean. I- I know we're supposed to talk about Beauty and the Beast, but if we can talk about Days of Our Lives and Wilford Brimley, I'm totally up for that, too. <laughs> oh, well, you know, we, we, we've we got an hour to talk about anything we want, to be honest with you. We, and this show is loosely a Howard, based on Howard Stern, so we fire rapid topics and go off all the time. Don't even worry about it. I can this. handle that. So, Oh, excellent, excellent. Live radio, that's the great fun of it. You know, I like the mistakes, you know. <laughs> I love that. Anything can happen. Yeah, so we, I like your little record scratch when you fix edits in your show. And yeah. that, I was like, that's a, that's a really good idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's an edit there. I, fabulous. I really appreciate that because I am not a tech-savvy person at all, um, but Christine is even less so than I am, so I have to handle most of the recording stuff. And so when stuff goes wrong, it's uh, it's as stereotypical me like like thinking there should be wires that I have to cross and uncross. So when I figured out like oh I know how to handle glitches in recording, I'll I'll put in a record scratch. I was very proud of myself. So I'm I'm very grateful to hear that somebody else appreciated that. Thank you. No problem. I love your show. And and can you tell our audience, because uh, even though I've counted you up before, they don't, you know, I'm trying to get them to listen to you. So explain your formatting and, and, okay, so and what you talk about. 
so we are a podcast. We don't do we don't really record on a schedule. We try to do like every two or three weeks. It kind of just depends usually on when the two of us are able to sit down at a computer at the same time. Um, so it's my dear friend Christine and myself. We live in different states, um, but we are both. Uh, you know, movie fans. We're both, I think we both come from a place of horror, but um, we also branch out quite a bit. Uh, Christine, I think, is a little more polished than I am in some ways. Uh, so we, you know, the mainly the reason we started a podcast, and I've done others before, I used to do a podcast on Glee, uh, and then the show got terrible, so that ended. Um, and so with Christine, what happened was... Uh, she moved. She used to live in New York. So when she moved states for me, it was like, oh, you know what? Let's do a podcast because it gives us an excuse to talk uh, here and there. So we kind of do it both just for ourselves and because we like to talk about movies. And I think we're okay at doing it. Um, so we pick two, you know, sometimes they'll be very, they might be two movies that have something in common. Like our last episode was on the 1942 Cat People and the 1982 remake of Cat People. So it's a very, nice. obviously there's a connecting thread. Um, but sometimes we'll do, like you said, the um, Wrestle Madness, the movie about a wrestling Jack Russell Terrier. Uh, and we'll pair that with See No Evil, the movie that stars a pro wrestler. So, you know, we do a mix. Uh, we talk about other movies that we've been watching. It's, our show is usually about two hours on average. Uh, yeah, and then come Christmas time, as you mentioned earlier, for the month of December, I do have this weird obsession with Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, so I put out a lot of mini episodes where I tackle those. So we we try to keep things diverse, I guess is one way to put it. I, their show runs the gambit entirely. So did you actually uh, did you actually ever watch the Beaches remake? I did. Yes, um, I liked it. Uh, originally, actually, you know, this is all very fitting. I was going to sit down and watch it with my friend Jason, who's been a guest on our show before, and we were going to have, like, a total uh, girls' night where we, you know, we're going to, like, order bad food and drink wine and watch beaches. But then um, I had to cancel because it ended up being, I ended up going to the Women's March. And so it was one of those, <laughs> like, you know, I really want to stay home this weekend and just, like, drink wine and watch beaches, but I feel like I, ha- I should probably go do this instead as a woman. Um, so then I instead watched it, like, randomly in different spurts on DVR. Uh, and I liked it. I kind of liked some of their choices. I enjoyed um, the casting. Uh, I felt it was very rushed, which is odd, because I thought the original is uh, too long. So I'm just, I'm just Goldilocks when it comes to my uh, cancer-dying friendship movies, I guess. Well, we'll definitely, uh, you know, I, I, at some point I might have you on. We'll do like a Hallmark Christmas special episode of Sex oh, and or something. I am there. That would be that would be awesome because I've always had it, and, and so does Aaron Marie. We don't like those movies usually, but we have, especially with Lifetime films, have these odd fascinations because we're both horror geeks, and it feels like horror. Yeah, and and they're yeah, exactly. Some of them couldn't be quite horrifying. <laughs> Only the molesting like, ones are just creepy. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, whoa. I, I, I just, it's like, why do I want that in my life? Did I have to think about that now? Thanks, guys. But, you know. then it's, but it's, and then it gets fascinating when you start to think of, like, the whole, you know, why this is programming specifically made, quote-unquote, for women. And, like, you can kind of look at it through this 
kind of gaze of like, oh, well, you think of like gothic novels and how like those were targeted at women. And like, there's something about that idea. I think of like, oh, women want to be disgusted and frightened, but then it's all going to be okay. That I just, yeah, and weird. Oh, and, and you can put your ex-wife in a tower if she goes crazy. Just remember well, that. Obviously. It's okay. And have an totally affair okay. with the help. It's totally yeah. okay in those movies. And when they discover it, it's okay, too. Yeah. So, anyway. Why is the help is that, you know? You know, well, you know, they're already in love with the guy, so they're going to forgive him an ex-wife in the tower, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and it's just a know. pattern that has repeated throughout the centuries. So. <laughs> Not to diss on the, the Bronte sisters, because I actually love them, but, you know, I, I just how many times have I seen, like, bad romance novels try to, like, like totally mm-hmm. do the same thing and totally miss the point of the Bronte novel? <laughs> you know, so, yep. anyway... <laughs> so, getting back to why we're here, and got and a good segue from one gothicy uh, thing <laughs> to very another. Very good point. Yes, uh, you are here tonight because, as we both, all three of us did, when we instantly watched the first trailer for Beauty and the Beast, all we could do was blubber. Because uh, I've been following the live-action remake since it was greenlit. It's horror, horrifying, actually, initially. Uh, because I actually am a huge fan of the Disney movie, but I'm not just a huge fan of the Disney movie. I'm a huge fan of the story, both story, the French version and the horrible lion version in the Grimm's fairy tale. I love both those versions of Beauty and the Beast. And, and so that Disney was going to remake the movie, which was made into a Broadway play, which may or may not work. It's terrifying. And then, of course, you started seeing who was being hired. Like, Emma, they picked Emma Watson, and then they, you know, the, the cast get better and better. And then the director, that's where I started to pay attention, yeah. is when they've got Bill Condon, uh, who, uh, you know, I think we're all fans of his work here. I would assume. Yeah, I you love ha- Bill have you yeah. done any? Have you done any episodes of your show on his work? You know, I don't think we have, which is kind of a shame. Um, I'm no, because I, I think there's a lot of films. Even like his Candyman Two is actually really like. It, I mean, it's not Candyman, but it's really good for what it is. Um, and I know I've talked about stuff that I've watched, but we've never specifically covered a Bill Condon film. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't think I've covered one on his show yet. This will be maybe I have no because the Cinderella was Kenneth Branagh last year and it ended that up being really Branagh, yeah. I actually really like that movie. I actually had it on my top ten last that year. Uh, you know, I I thought it was like you know if you're gonna update it, so I have a little bit of hope. But I I'm now that we're facing the film, how do we actually feel about the live action remake? Are we still excited for it? Are we facing this movie. I mean, I'm there no matter what. I have a seven-year-old daughter, and if I don't go, she will curse me. And it'll be like, it'll stick. It'll be like a gypsy curse or like the frozen <laughs> curse. From, well, probably more like the frozen curse. Well, like Elsa. or you're going to yeah. do what my mother did to me. when. So when I was a little girl, I guess Little Mermaid came out in 1989, right? So I would have been, I think, seven. And I wanted to go see it because, like, it was 
it was a little mermaid and all my friends had seen it my mother did not let me go see it she would not take me because she assumed it would end the way the fairy tale and like the fairy tale theater episode did like that it would end with the little mermaid dying and like it would make me sad so my mom didn't let me go see it even though I was watching like Friday the 13th part six that weekend that was okay um, so, like, I had to wait, like, a couple of years before I was allowed to rent it, and, of course, it ends happy. So, you're right. You don't want to be that mom, because deep down, I still resent no. my mother for that. No. Yeah. You know, uh, I was a little bit older when that movie came out. <clears throat> uh, and same with Beauty yeah, and the Beast. Yeah, I was 13. I, I came of age with Beauty and the Beast, and, uh, mm, you know, yeah. and my movie Geekery centers around that movie. I only rebuy two or three films in my life, like on when a new format comes out. One is Army of Dark is the Evil Dead trilogy. I always oh, rebuy God. that. You're, you must be broke. They've released uh, so many. I refuse to buy any of those movies because they've no, like no, no, no. 12 a year. <laughs> no, no, I, no, not Anchor Bay, only when it's a special edition, and I was vowing not to buy them, but then the new Army of Darkness from Shout Factory came out last year, and how did they do it? They made a great package and everything I wanted in the Army of Darkness, how and they I get you. that. I was like, oh, my God, I couldn't help it. But the other, other two movies are Nightmare Before Christmas and Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Uh, and Beauty and the Beast, matter of fact, uh, with, along with the faces, a laser disc of uh, of Star Wars is the reason why I own a laser disc player because I wanted nice. the version that came out in 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 the, at the in Tribeca at the film festival, um, the special laser disc pencil test edition. So I know every single frame of Beauty and the Beast <laughs> as a still. <laughs> I know that movie by heart. Very Everything nice. about it. I'm obsessed with that movie when I was growing up. And it's because it was the first Disney film I thought that had some maturity to it. Uh, you know, I, I hear I'm growing up, and Belle is the same age as me, and she's acting like right, a right. girl her age. She's not acting like. And she like, reads. She reads. The music is great. I was already a yeah. fan. See, I'm a musical geek like like you are. I, all three of us yep. love musicals here. Oh, and, yeah. and oh my god! And I I absolutely adore Howard Ashman, and especially yeah. I actually sung sung some of Little Shop of Horrors. I uh, uh, you know they're both Little Shop of Horrors is one of my favorite musicals of all time. Do you want to get really uh, jealous I, of me for a minute? Yes. I got to see um, when they re-released the uh, Blu-ray of Little Shop of Horrors a few years ago with the alternate ending. Uh, they did at, um, I think it was at Lincoln Center Film Center, they did like a screening of it and Frank Oz, Ellen Green, and oh. Alan Menken were there. And after uh, the movie, Alan Menken played piano and Ellen Frank Green Oz sang. And you're speaking my language. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a beautiful day. Oh, and, like, seeing Ellen wonderful. Green sing somewhere that's green is pretty much life-changing. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Skid Row is one of my favorite songs of all time. I I got yep. to sing that as a carol number, and it's such a great carol number. It's just kick-ass, you know. So, uh, you know, so, okay, so I was already a fan, so it was easy mm-hmm. to fall in love with both Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, especially Beauty and the Beast because the, the lyrics and Lion King. are so so well, Lion King is not is you know remember that that's it's a little different with Lion Elton King. John. That's Tim Rice and Alan I know Aiken. with Elton John. I'm talking about how but it, that's Aspen. during the golden era of Disney right there. Well, it is. Yeah, the you get that era run and, of and, yeah of 
but but Beauty and the Beast stood out, though, I think, of all of them. And it was actually, of all of them, considered the biggest risk. They didn't actually think it was going to make any money. Uh, and then it ended up being the only animated film ever nominated for Best Picture, and now they have an alternate Oscar, and no film will ever be nominated again for Best Picture that's an animation. No, it wasn't Toy Story 3 was nominated, wasn't it? I think Toy Story 3 managed to be nominated in both categories, but it's going to be really very tough. hard for one to ever win. Yeah, no, it's not going to work that way anymore. But, you know, it's still, at least if, it, if a record's going to be held up, Beauty and the Beast is a good one yep. to do it. You know Same what I'm saying? Of the <laughs> I know. Isn't it awesome? And I love both those movies. Coming of age, yeah. there's me in a nutshell right there. Silence yep. of yep. the Lambs yep. and Beauty and the Beast. Yep. I like Spooky I was allowed. I saw Silence of the Lambs in the theater. I went to see that at the same age, which uh, Beauty oh and the Beast is 91, right? So, yeah, I'm like yes, uh, okay. what, 91, so I'm nine, going to see Silence of the Lambs in the movie theater with my parents. But, you know, that, that, I, could, I couldn't watch Little Mermaid. <laughs> I had a weird upbringing. No, with my mother, horror was absolutely forbidden. I wasn't allowed to watch an R-rated movie until I was like 11, oh. and it was Die Hard. <laughs> so I didn't ah. get to start watching horror until I was 13. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Uh, I, I didn't like slasher films. My parents didn't like slasher films, so they loved horror and psychotronic films. So I've seen all those monster movies and huge fan of Godzilla. I always considered myself classically trained, but I didn't have a lot Got of it. modern horror films in my See, belt I, for many, I have many a years. It's, which is an interesting way to come at it. Um, my husband was like that. I think he kind of like, he watched all like the universal movies and those ones. Whereas me, because I think because I'm the youngest in a family of four and I have two older brothers. So it was just kind of like, they were Fangoria kids. So therefore I was two. And there's no way oh, to I, let one watch something, but not the other. So I was, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I had two cousins. By the, time yeah, I was, but, by the time I was like 14 or 15, I had one of those... Um, cable boxes where you could turn the dial in between the channels just right and uh, <laughs> get the channels that you don't pay for. So I watched a ton of HBO and Cinemax and Showtime and a lot of horror. And I'd recorded uh, all uh, on VHS and I had quite a huge collection. Yep. My parents, though, for some reason, even though they didn't want me to watch slasher films, they had no problem with me watching sword and sandal films. So I was sitting there right with them, you know, watching Sword and the Sorcerer and, you know, Conan the Barbarian and the Conquest, mm-hmm. you know, and all these really outrageous half-naked chicks with swords and, you know, decapitations <laughs> and sex and, you know, it's just as violent as some of these other films, right? You know, but I guess. Yeah, but because it has that, I guess, sort of, like, I guess maybe it's the whole, like, realism issue that I think some people have where if it looks like, it, it slashers are usually based in reality and the characters can look like you and all that. Whereas like, yeah, Conan and anything, it's just so removed that it sounds like a fairy tale. So you have that separation there, I guess, that's usually considered why that's okay but like a Saw movie wouldn't be. Well, uh, and I was allowed to read Grimm's fairy tales, too, as a kid. Like the actual Grimm's, oh, un- yeah. abridged Grimm's <laughs> fairy tales oh, with fun. Robert 
Robert's bridegroom was not edited, you know, and they didn't <laughs> use the name Cinderella. It used the name Ash Rapunzel. That's how old my copy is, you know. And, uh, you know, it, 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 so I wasn't, like, it wasn't like gore was something my parents shied away from. It was in particular slasher movies because, I mean, it, they wouldn't even allow me to see Alien, but the, the trailer scared me so much I couldn't sleep for weeks. So <laughs> it was terrifying. I saw one clip on Roger Ebert, and I'm like, no, no, no. I, you know, Aliens was one of those that I snuck when oh. I was about eight years old, and I could only watch half of it. Well, the second film I had no problems with. It was the first film. I was really Scott's movie. I was like, no way, yep. cat, no way. Don't kill the cat. <laughs> my neighbor, my neighbor had uh, horror movies, and I uh, made her show me two of them, which was Westworld and Alien. <laughs> oh, nice. So those were my very so, first. So getting back to realism, okay, so we're talking, we obviously enjoy things with a high level of verisimilitude here, which is good, because to watch a movie like Beauty and the Beast, and I just saw, by the way, not just this version, the Cocteau version is also like mm. this, and I just saw the, the new version in 2014, which was directed by the same people that did Brother of the Wolf. They did a big action movie picture version of it i just saw today i watched it this afternoon they all have like really high elements of of enchantment and you know things moving that aren't supposed to inanimate objects it's always a theme about it in animation clearly in a cartoon you have no problems watching you know dancing candelabras especially in a disney film here we got the live version of cogsworth and so is it going to work with the live-action CG? Are we going to buy it? Because our, our brains does not, and we've learned this from watching stop animation, our brains does not comprehend CGI the same way we do for things that are, like, felt like are, you know, locked into the frame, like animation or, like, stop animation. So is this going to work for us? Is it going to be too weird watching these things move around? Or are we going to be totally not caring because the movie rocks? <laughs> That that's the question, and I yeah. think what I would be most curious about is, do, will it work for kids? Because I think that's what's always like different for every generation, and sometimes really disappointing. Um, and I'm sure my parents went through it when you know we'd sit down and watch a movie, an animated movie that they loved from their childhood, and I would I might be bored. And you wonder with this now, Liz, your daughter, I'm guessing, has watched the animated film, right? Oh, yes. She knows it very well. Yeah. <laughs> we watch it all the time. It's not her favorite, actually. Her favorite is Sleeping Beauty, which I have no issues with at all because that's okay. also my my favorite. And Beauty and okay. is my second favorite, so I'm happy with Prince that. Prince Philip is my <laughs> so. favorite of all of the Disney princes. Oh, I always Sleeping had a crush Beauty, on Eric, Little Mermaid. Well, uh, I, I, I like Derek. Eric's all good, man. I always thought Eric was pretty hot. But you see, I'm, I mean, he's I, an idiot, why, why, but he's really hot. Oh, but he's so endearing. He's such a good boy, you know? <laughs> you know he's not. He's all right. He's got the little chest. Anyway, I always liked Eric, but I also like, oh, my God, I like the beast when he becomes human in the end of Beauty and the Beast. You get one hot no, shot, I was, and that's it. I was one of those girls <laughs> that was like, I liked him better as a beast. And then I thought, well, me too. Me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, oh, he's just not as hot. Was, 
my friend who writes silk songs in in California wrote a song about how she would like the, the bell falls out of love with the human nice. version of the beast. But I thought it was a pretty awesome song. I was actually looking to see if I had a copy of it for the show tonight, and I didn't have it. It would have been like amazing gold find if I had it. <laughs> uh, so uh, I so honestly. Uh, I think we can handle the weirdness of, of the of the moving around. You're right, and, and my seven year old probably won't even matter to her that they're dancing around. It might be only I have that issue because I'm the older generation. But I'm still going to say this now because, like, say my number one favorite villain of all time is Eleanor Audrey, and um, oddly in uh, Sleeping Beauty uh, as Maleficent. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. my favorite voice actor from her time period outside of Stan Freeberg. I thought the two of them were, they worked together a lot. And so I absolutely love, love her performance in that movie. My second favorite though is my boy Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. I absolutely, he's my second favorite villain of all time. We have a show, believe it or not, Emily, if we go back to the beginning uh-huh. Episode two of my whole podcast. You will hear an episode where we talk about our favorite. Oh, villains. Disney we villains. Count them all down. Mm, nice. Yeah, we count them down. That Chris was our is the best. I mean, he has the best song, without question. That that oh. that song is so great and so funny. And oh, I'm quite partial to poor unfortunate souls. I'm an Ursula, oh, which I do love. I, I do. I adore <laughs> Ursula. Uh, uh, who doesn't love? When she was really young. For Halloween, it was like, "What do you want to be for Halloween?" And she's like, "I want to be Ursula." And I'm like, oh, "You're related to me. I knew it. I knew it." <laughs> uh, well, I didn't bring the wrong baby home. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but I've always loved Gaston. I mean, he's just and yeah, and 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 oh, the voice great. acting it was Richard Wright. If I was no, was I'm sorry, I'm blanking his name now. But uh, Richard Wright's the other guy. Uh, but he he uh, he's just so deep and baritone and awesome mm-hmm. and. And, and 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 I I so I've said this in the beginning that the movie is going to live or die by Luke Evans' performance as Gaston, not as Emma Watson as Belle, not the Beast, mm-hmm. not any of that. All of that's going to be fine. It's going to be Luke Evans. He has to be the convincing one in this. And and, and I've so, heard it's spectacular. You see, here's the thing. I was reading something today, an article, and this one was, like, talking about, most about La La Land. It was kind of punting at that a little bit. It was saying that, you know what, if you want to revive the the Hollywood musical, which I would love to see a good revival of a good Hollywood musical, you got to hire actors that can actually sing and dance, right, <laughs> to do it. And But they included Luke Evans in, in the article, the thing is, though, and I got chided for this, too, when I asked, when Luke Evans got the part, I was like, I asked my internet friends, I go, so does Luke Evans actually sing? And I got this, like, response of, like, what? You don't know he sings? What are you talking about? And everyone started posting me clips of him singing online in Broadway musicals and doing other things. And I'm like, okay, I stand corrected. I didn't know. I was just asking. So, so he... So he was included in this article, and he probably doesn't apply to him because he actually is trained to be a singer. But I, I, I don't know. The one clip I saw, which is of my favorite song, is the Gaston song. It's mostly of Josh Gad, who I had no doubts would be fine as LeFou, and he already is. You know, sure. I, I was like, as soon as Josh Gad got LeFou, I was like, 
yeah, who else would have gotten it? Yeah, you know, exactly. I, I, you know it's like, duh. <laughs> that was really, it was like a, like so obvious. It was like, wow. Um, and it's a good thing, obvious. I, I got to see Josh Gad in the Book of Mormon. So, you know, I, I always oh, read nice. him on. Uh, yeah. So, um, so how do you feel about Luke Evans? I mean, do you ever, you ever watch other, we watched him in High Rise recently, right? Yeah, that's, that's yeah, he was one fantastic. of those actors that, like, doesn't, he, he has a very kind of bland, like, he looks like a lot of other actors, I guess. He's like a hillbilly Orlando Bloom. <laughs> I like that. And I wouldn't mind right? that either. Right? Um, yeah. yeah. No, I'm seeing it. And, like, I'm spinning into the whole, like, his world now, and it's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, Sorry, I've still I, got, like, content left over. <laughs> I saw um, the Immortals. I saw High Rise. Uh, and a few, A Clash of the Titans. So I've, I've seen him play a god quite quite a few times, I guess. Um and he, I don't yep. think overly standing out, but I mean, he's a good looking guy, he's talented. Uh, I, I did I think know. he stood out in High Rise, though. High Rise was the first time I actually saw a performance that made me go, you know, I didn't even recognize him at first. I was yeah. like, you know, it's, and then yeah, I, like, I had to go it. look this him up on IMDb. Yeah, the like, meaty part, too. It. So, so it does tell me in there somewhere in that, like, box. Fox cookie cutter Hollywood exterior English uh, English Hollywood exterior if you know what I'm saying there's a really mm-hmm. good actor in there that's that just hasn't been tapped yet so maybe you know maybe this will be because he gets to sing and dance on a movie maybe and and maybe he'll be this will be the film that makes him a household name I don't know he's always been one of those actors that everybody like us knows about but not a lot of mainstream people know about. So, except yeah. if you like like Lord of the Rings movies, you know things like that, you might know who he is. Right, right. Uh, so, exactly. Um, and I just introduced the girls to Chicago today too, which I get was pleased about that because one of Madison's favorite movies is Pretty Woman. So she got to see you know Richard Gere stretch his singing talent. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's a good thing. I, I I actually I think Chicago is a very good movie musical. It, it, you know it. Hard to make a good movie musical, and it, the problem is, and this is the producers is a perfect example of a failure that way, is that most oh, yeah. people don't know how to shoot a movie musical. You still have to shoot it like a movie, uh, you know. Uh, you well, can't and that's something, something exciting about Bill Condon is that he made Dreamgirls, which I think is a fantastic movie musical. Absolutely. I got to see that, but Numathon 8 in Austin, you know, that was like my big break into like writing for movies and stuff. I got invited and my father to see that. And Dreamgirls was on that list. And so we were all blown away by it. I mean, and we're like, this is a great film. Very underrated. Um, Uh, I think it just kind of, because it came out, I guess, after Chicago. And I think it was like kind of primed to be this big award season movie, but it just like didn't connect. And then Eddie Murphy, like it was that period where everybody suddenly hated Eddie Murphy. But you look at that movie and you look at everybody in that movie. And I feel like most of them have never been better than they are in dream girls. And I think that says a lot about Bill Condon as a director. Oh, uh, yeah. well, but you know, I, uh, you know, we also had Jennifer, you know, I was going to say Jennifer holiday. That's wrong, but uh, you know, and Jennifer yeah, Hudson, you know, 
Yep. Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Holiday. Jamie Foxx is good yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I, you know, I still look at that performance and I'm like, you know, my, my husband's watching me and he goes, and this is right before she's about to do her solo. And he's like, mm-hmm. she's wailing. She's really good. And I'm like, and I'd already seen it at this point because I thought it'd be now. I'm like, just wait. <laughs> you know? and my husband are like, whoa. Yeah. It's just like, but, uh, you know, so I, we have room for us. There's room for music, movie, middle, music. Is there, let me add, let me go back. We obviously are still from that era that we can go and I like my one of my greatest film of all time is The Music Man. I still love The Music Man. I I know every moment of The Music Man. My whole family loves The Music Man, but not a lot of people past my generation has even seen the movie. Let alone know who Robert Preston is, which kind of makes me sad, uh, you know. And uh, but is there room in a modern audience, even with La La Land? Because honestly, La La Land's kind of very middle of the road, even for what it is. Um, is there room for movie musicals again? Are we going to get more of them? Do you think this is the I beginning mean, of a new boom? I don't think we're ever going to be at the point where, you know, in the 40s, 50s, up to the mid-60s, when musicals were like action movies in a sense where it was just you'd get the biggest stars and you'd get a huge budget and it would make a lot of money because everybody loved them. I don't know that we'll ever get there again, and I think there's a ton of different reasons why. But I, you know, I still haven't seen La La Land. I've heard, you know, I know some people loved it, some people hated it, some people just are very mediocre on it. But I'm happy it did well, if nothing else, because that means at least another musical will get bankrolled and put out. And... Uh, you know, I agree. It'll never go away, but I don't know that it's ever going to be the hot ticket item because they, they keep trying, right? After Chicago, you had this like wave of Nine and Dreamgirls and a few others where it's like, okay, musicals are big again. Let's do musicals. And then that kind of fell off. And I think it'll happen again with La La Land and then it will fall off. I think it's just going to yeah. be one of those trends that's going to come and go. It's never going to go away, but I don't think we'll ever be at that era where it's going to be singing in the rain and you know, Gene Kelly doing every, doing five movies a year and they all make money. I don't think we'll get there yeah. as much as I wish we would. No, and it's the same with the West. But we're getting at least Western one or two too. good ones a year. We are, and, yeah. and, and, on, and honestly, Beauty of the Beast in the end is going to be absolutely critic-proof. Uh, they've already, like, sold oh, yeah. out, like, 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 uh, like all the midnight performances all over the place. And, you know, and uh, the big screenings are happening tonight all over the country. I blew it. I had a chance to get one. And actually they canceled it and moved it to Wednesday, which would have been awesome, you know, because we had bad weather up here. Uh, but I didn't get right, to go right. to Beauty and the Beast. But, uh, but you know, so everyone's watching it. And, and I have a feeling, I've been telling people from the beginning, like, do you smell that? They're like, I go, yeah, that's the smell of the money. Because in this case, too, you have, it's like that perfect, they timed it really well in a sense, because I remember when the BFG came out and they were talking about why it flopped. And one of the reasons was because you're not hitting the right nostalgia points, because the people that read that book are either like, either don't, are like too young to have had kids yet or are like past the point where they have kids that are that age. And I think in this case, Beauty and the Beast, it's that perfect point where little kid, like little kids are going to want to go see it no matter what, because it's, here's the kids movie. So here's, no matter what, you're going to get that like younger audience. And then you have the generation of parents of kids that are the right age for it. It's the generation 
that grew up with Beauty and the Beast. So yeah, but you have you're to be going careful. to they get do, their parents going. But they do this all the time. They try this, and, and they do it in horror especially. They try 30 yeah. years out, they make a movie, make a remake. Like let's, I don't want to dishon it too much, but the one that comes to mind is the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, right? And they want sure. us to bring our, our kids to see it because we're at that age where we bring our preteens kids to see that movie. And, and it's like, no, that movie's not nearly as good as the original. And now with the access of Netflix, I can get the original and show it to my kid. You know, uh, so there has so if you're gonna do a remake, you still have to treat it with respect. I don't think re- I don't think films are sacred. The remake has been around since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, you know Broadway Baby. Broadway Baby, yeah. the first best picture the was Wizard remade of Oz. like three times. You know, you know, yeah, you know, it's just it's just people remade stuff all the time. It, it, Stagecoach yeah, was remade. Completely. You know, uh, you know, I could go on the amount of films that have been remade over the years or how many sequels, all the universal films and those sequels. I mean, it's time on tradition to carry on with cheesy sequels mm-hmm. if you're a horror film. This is all part of it. So I have no issues with a film being sacred, even one as much as, as I feel about Beauty and the Beast. And I really do care about Beauty and the Beast quite a bit for a lot of reasons. And, uh, you know, it's the beginning of computer animation as we know it. Uh, it's the last hand-drawn Disney almost, you know, the last completely hand-drawn one was The Little Mermaid, and this is the transitional film to the next yeah. generation of movies. Uh, the the voice acting is absolutely some of the best in a Disney film. I mean, uh, Paige yep. O'Hara is brilliant as Belle, and, yep. and Robbie Benson, who did not fall in love with Robbie Benson instantly as the Beast. I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and then, of course, girl, Gaston. you've got uh, Angela Lansbury in a very cute part. Angela Lansbury. Also, um, now, are we um, South Park fans here? Yes. Any of I haven't watched the show in years, but like I, I when it came out, I I was the first one to have a South Park T-shirt back in the nineties. Okay. Um, Do you remember who the woman, the original woman who did uh, the voices on on uh, South Park? Sure, the one who did uh, Carmen's Carmen's bomb. She yeah, Mary Chapman. Yes. Yeah, she you know, she she killed herself. She died. Oh, she she actually she, she she yeah, right after she did um Toy Story 3. That was her last big and South Park movie. She passed on. Huh. Uh she's one of the three backup singers in Beauty and the Beast. So it's one of her oh, last I mean, voice roles. So yeah. there's that too for it. Um, Jerry Orbach has passed away and he's there, you know, uh, there's a lot of reasons why this film, this movie is important. And Richard, I was right. It's Richard Wright. It's Gaston. I would think, I was thinking for some reason, uh, well, I was thinking of what the crab from, from Little Mermaid. It's a very similar name. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, Mary Kay Bergman was, it was the voice actor on South Park and, uh, she was a brilliant, she was not one of those voice actors that you would know like a, cause I'm a huge voice actor geek. Uh, she, mm-hmm. she wasn't a voice actor like you would know as a mainstream voice actor like Tara Strong is. She's the mm-hmm. one that fills in when the spaces are needed. She's the voice match artist and she was one of the best 
voice match artist in the world at the time. And she did suffer from a lot of demons and, and she yeah. was fighting them. And unfortunately she succumbed to them. So, so there's that little sad underbelly to Billy the Beast that I always think about too, but all of, so this yeah. movie has some real historical significance, not to mention, of course, being nominated for Oscar and, you know, I, I, and Linda Wolverton wrote the screenplay, and, you know, so there's just, it's just a good film that way, but it's still not sacred. I don't ever think it's sacred. Um, yeah, agreed. So, well, and I think there's there is room for improvement in some areas. And I know, um, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to do with it, but the, one of the complaints often lodged against the the ninety one film is that like, you know, Belle seems like this really great character because she reads and she cares about her dad, but like. Why does she really fall in love with the beast? Is it just Stockholm syndrome? Is this a feminist movie or not? All like, there's all those kinds of issues. And I remember when it was announced that Emma Watson was going to be Belle. I'm like, oh, I'm like, that's really interesting because she is so outspoken about being a feminist and about you know young women having positive role models and all that. That I wonder if anything was changed. You know whether it was at her request or if this you know if the script kind of came with a little more strength to that character. So that's something I'm hoping for. Like, I I would be surprised if it wasn't, but, you know. Well, arguably, uh, Belle is a bit of a Mary Sue. It is kind of true. She's kind of perfect for what she is, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but but I've never really minded, because I don't actually go to watch Beauty and the Beast, the animated film, subjective character. It's really <laughs> more about... The whole, it, it's more of an art piece from well, beginning to yeah. end. Yeah, it's meant to be something to take in as a whole. And, and, and you know, the, and the underlying issues with the story itself are really the underlying issues with the original source material. It's not yeah. really oh, sure. the Disney film that it's the issue with, if you understand. At least that's how I feel about it. So Yeah, well, I would, but I think there are ways to tweak that. And I think in 2017, you, like, Kind of have to, so well, I, like, that's did, something I really hope they do. And Kenneth Brown did do it with Cinderella. He updated it just enough, so you know he answered a few that. things that I've always had issues with. One of them is the very end of the original Cinderella movie. I've always like had issues with, even as a kid. So you know, here Cinderella wins, right? She's coming down. Wait for me, you know, and 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 out of Fight, you know, Lady Tremaine smashes the, the slipper right in the front slipper, of the Duke, yeah. right? Like, because she can't abide her winning. And I always like, you stupid woman. She's about to jump her station, and you're her mother-in-law. You're her regent. You yeah, are you're going to get benefit from this. You're going to get a lot of money out of this. And, and so that they actually address that issue in the live-action version. Okay. And I was so thankful for that. Because I was like, it's just not realistic. She would not have been. She's, if she, I mean, Lady Tremaine is one of the evilest women in Disney films because of that moment. Because she's like, doesn't even care about her own legacy right, so at that point. At that she point. just wants to ruin, ruin Cinderella. It's like, you know, bitch. Anyway, but you know, in, in well, the other version, Kate. Kate Blanchett's really is more of an opportunistic thing, and she is trying to protect herself, and and it's more realistic. I thought, anyways, as okay. much as it can be. Yeah, I didn't see Brana Cinderella because I felt like I had such a chip on my shoulder of like, oh no, I saw the live action Cinderella. It was called Ever After, and it was amazing. 
so I just I love, love Ever After. I love that one. I love Ever After so much. Good. Yeah, no. Drew Barrymore and Richard O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Angela, Scott, Angelica Toby Houston. Oh. Yeah, Angelica Houston's a goddess in that movie. Angelica Houston's really good at Lady Tremay in Ever After. Uh, there's some really honest moments in that film. Mm-hmm. You know, yep, a, a, yep. you know, she it, like there's this moment. Cinderella mentions something about her her dad, and she's like, "Well, I just didn't get to know him that well." You yeah, know, yeah. and it was and it's true. She didn't. He like totally died on her before she even. Yeah, had he died the day right? Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, you know, so that was a more realistic, you know, I, yeah, there's a lot of unrealistic issues with Cinderella and not just the fairy tale and all that. It's actually about the behavior of the people in the story. I have always preferred the grim fairy tale anyway. I'd love someone to do the grim version with the, bur- with the tree <laughs> you want that, uh, and the duck. Yeah, I want the, the eye pecking. I want the cutting off. Yeah, exactly. The cutting the heels off, the cutting off the uh, into the woods, you get that. Yeah, but into the woods. I actually I've seen into the woods twice now in the theaters at in the movie, but I also saw the Vanessa Williams revival with my father in New York City, which was a pretty good version of, of Into the Woods. But I really don't like the back half of the movie and the of the, actually, <laughs> of the play in general. I, I once she dies, I think the whole thing just kind of falls flat but i think the opening is really exciting i love the the opening the first two-thirds of, of, of it but uh i would like to see it not straight up they've done it with snow white there's an 80s version of snow white that's a horror film that's pretty decent uh i would love to is see the one it straight with up uh yes that's right with okay yeah no, that's pretty good yeah it's all right it's, it, it, it is what it is you know so um so do we have I'm gonna go to Erin Marie. Do other than the Disney version, is there another version of Beauty and the Beast that you know about that you'd like to highlight? I like the original. Um the French one, the black and white. I saw it in my film appreciation class in college. What is it called? Uh, La Belle at La Bette or something like that. Yeah, that yeah, that's the Whatever Jacques it is in French, version. yeah. 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 It, that's a gorgeous film. And that film. is probably it is, and it's probably the definitive version of Beauty and the Beast, if you think about it. I mean, it really well, all a really kind of influential film too. I think a lot of a lot of films. I, I I know I feel like like ten different films that I've read about recently. I was like that kind of reminded me. And I looked in like the IMDb trivia, and it's like yeah, no, blatantly referencing the Cocteau film. That that's one that I think filmmakers really went to in a lot of ways uh, visually. Well, and John Cocteau is also a master of the psychological vision, uh, psychological, uh, uh, how do you explain it? I, I used to be able to say he can take images and symbolism and ha- hit your subconscious with things and yeah. he uses subliminal. All, yeah, it's all through the movie. It's very, very, it's a very, it's not an emotional piece. It's a very intellectual piece. And and I mean mm-hmm. that in all the good ways because, uh, you know, it, it feels like you're watching some kind of dream that isn't quite real, but it's familiar. And it just, the whole thing feels kind of not light, but like you're off balance the whole time. Uh, just mm-hmm. like Belle is, Belle's very off balance the whole movie. It's almost as if someone is on opium or something. <laughs> you know, I've always appreciated how beautiful the movie is. <laughs> so, 
Um, yeah. How about you, what, um, Miss Emily? What, what? Well, you know, uh, what, do you have a? What's ver- funny? Well, I mean, I love the cocktail one, and then I was think as we're talking, I'm, as you asked ask that question, I'm like, I know I've seen the fairy tale theater version. I know I watched it a lot, but I can't remember the specifics of it. Did you guys watch fairy tale theater when you were younger? Absolutely, I did, and I do remember watching the fairy tale version, a theater version of it. Of this one, it was really good. Susan Sarandon was Beauty, and Angelica Houston was, I guess, one of the sisters. My God, how do I not remember that? I I do remember, and and fairy tale theater was a hit or miss on the episode. Like the the fog pins with Robin Williams is just a total train wreck. Rewatch it. so, uh, but um, the, the Beauty and the Beast, they really tried to imitate or, 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 or not imitate, but tribute the vibe yeah. of, of the Cocteau version. So it was, it was good. It was actually pretty good. I, like I said, I know the story quite a bit. So, right, um, right. but I, I would probably agree with the Jean Cocteau version is my favorite film version. But honestly, if you want to read some messed up stuff, go back to the, not the French version, but the Grimm's fairy tale version of Beauty and the Beast. It has a different title. It's called the, it's not the Lion King. It might be the King Lion or something like that. And it's a very different story in the sense that once the Beast turns human and they fall in love and get married, the story actually doesn't end. It continues on. It's like what happens to her afterwards. And it's not actually very good what happens to her. I won't go into spoilers, but it's actually a rather morose story and nothing good comes of this relationship which I kind of found and interesting. I, well, I think that's something that's always there when you watch the movie too because like when at the very end of Beauty and the Beast when you know he turns into a man and everybody turns like when the candlestick turns into a man and Chip the teacup turns into a little boy there's something so such a I, I always felt it as a kid and I still feel it when I watch it as an adult like, there's a letdown there. There's a sense of, like, the magic is gone. And I get that the whole thing is like, yeah, but the magic was imprisoning them, and they don't need magic and all that, but it's like, well, no, but like dancing spoons is pretty right. fucking cool. Not to mention the real victim of this story is poor Chip and his brothers and sisters. My because God, here yeah. you go, you know, okay, so if you do the math, uh, the the beast had to be 11 years old or so when he or 10 or 11 when he was turned because he's it's changed into his 21st birthday and in the song they talk about 10 years they've been resting so you do yeah. the math and and Chip is six years old that means he's been permanently six for 10 11 years and when he comes yeah. back to life he is still six years old. So he hasn't yeah. changed. He hasn't emotionally matured. He he went through his entire childhood. He has to relive his childhood, right? Uh, you know, it's Man, that's just dark. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a very dark How thing. And I've always been obsessed with that. You know, yep. like, poor Chip. I bet there's, like, fan you know, fiction like, out there about Chip. <laughs> poor Chip. He's all messed up. So, um um, so let's see. Uh, so we haven't. We're, we're pushing on ten thirty. So I would say, Emily, do you have any final thoughts you want to talk about Booty and the Beast coming up, or is there anything you? Oh, uh, well, we also plug your show. We always do that. But um, uh, is there anything like you're looking forward to film-wise in the next couple of weeks in the theaters? Because we always are talking about what films we're going to be looking forward to here. You know what? There is. You know what? I'm actually looking forward to going to see. 
the Belko experiment. Yes. Oh, that's that. one I really want to go see. Yeah. I have that on the community calendar as a theatrical pick tonight. So, yeah. That's, that's yeah, James Gunn, right? It's James yes. Gunn. Uh, Emily, it's, talk it's about it. Directing. Well, it's, it's, uh, is it Greg McLean, McLaren? It's the guy who directed Wolf Creek is directing it, but it's James Gunn's script. So, like, okay, yep. good. Right, right there. I'd probably go see it no matter what it was. But it also looks kind of like a Battle Royale-ish setup, which I'm always down for. And the other thing As I'm in a workplace setting, America a corporate world. Oh, my God, yes. Um, I, like, there are so few office-set horror movies, and it drives me crazy because it's such a great, like, potential setting for horror. It really I, is. Like, like one, of, one of my favorite ones is P2, you know? I mean, parking garages are such a fantastic setting. Yeah, um, I, I actually we, we I have a soft spot for Daybreakers. Daybreakers is the corporate vampire movie because I think the ending is just so outrageous that it really cracks me up. Uh, you know, the big the big guy. You know, if you've seen, have you either one of you seen Daybreakers? Is that the is Ethan Hawke in that one? Uh, Ethan Hawke and Sam and Sam Neill. Okay, it? he's the villain vampire. Oh, my God. Okay, rewatch it because it's kind of crazy. It's actually about corporate greed, you know, because meta- oh, vampires right. often metaphor whatever's popular, right? And, and yeah. uh, But they, they figure out this serum. I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler because you have to watch the end. Uh, so the, the, the serum does actually figure out how to cure vampirism. And so these guys have the serum in their bodies, and they have this big plan, but it doesn't quite work. And so they get attacked, and, and the, the, the vampires that attack them, which are co- their own cops, by the way, their cops have been turned, change human the other vampires attack them they change human <laughs> the other vampires attack them and it's like this <laughs> nice. chain of blood and gore that is just so awesome it's it's like the rest of the movie can go away that last six minutes is great <laughs> like so i highly recommend daybreaker that's a really good one uh the belco experiment since i oh, will go ahead this is on the community calendar anyways and that was what i was going to follow up the show with uh, our talk anyway um the one thing I like about it is that a lot of it's shot in bright lights. And I love movie, horror films that are shot in bright light or in daylight. Me too. Like, you Me know, too, like, and because Creek, I can't Wolf stand is, trying to squint and figure out what in the world is going yep. on. Yep. Well, Wolf Creek has some really scary moments that are in the day. You know, like, yeah, really terrifying moments, especially at the very end of the film. And, uh, you know, uh, I actually think it, it's a credit to the filmmaker when he can do that, uh, you know, and not cheat by hiding his monsters and his mm-hmm. and the I violence agree. in the shadows. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, Belko Experiment, you know, we know Greg McLean can turn on the scary, uh, and we know that James Cunn can cool on the crazy. So, and I'm a huge mm-hmm. gun fan. I, I love Slither. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, so... Um, you know, even when James Gunn isn't great, all his films are interesting. That's how I feel about yep. James Gunn. So, you know, and I it's feel like nice he's to a see fan. It. Like, he comes from writing as a fan of the genre, and I think that that's where you can kind of – you can see that sometimes in his work. That it, Well, he's he, a – You know – Oh, yeah, go for it. He's an Austin boy, right? He's, like, one of those guys, right? He's out of Austin originally. Uh, I so know he we know he's trauma, got, like, as a young man, so. Yes, he did start with trauma as a young man, uh, but he's got cred, 
you know, that's the mm-hmm. thing. Lloyd Kaufman has, has produced some amazing people, believe it, very talented people yeah. out of him. James Gunn and Eli Ross, people that we talk about all the time. And here they are, you know, here we are talking about mainstream films with, you know, with a good release, you know, it makes me excited. Yep. And, and hopefully we get more horror releases now that get out made a hundred million dollars. Uh, yeah. Because uh, I'm so excited for that. that. That was actually on my list too to talk about tonight. Uh, we do, um, Emily. Let me let me tell you what we usually do in the second half of the uh, the last half hour, which we're hitting right now. We do something called the community calendar. I usually play a really cool piece of music, but my computer is completely frozen. I can't do uh-huh. anything but talk right now. So if I suddenly go away, that's my computer crashing. Just keep the show going. I'll come back when I. Do you can, want us okay? to sing or something? <laughs> like we can hum. Uh, no. No, no, we can still go through. We can still go through the list. We just won't have any music to go with it, and I don't know if I'll be able to log out. But we'll we'll keep going. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, would you like to stay on and talk about um, uh, the future? Um, it, the tonight's community calendar is a combination of news and things coming out. All our geek happenings in the U.S. We talk about all the major stuff coming up because. We are geeks, and we attend these things, and we want other people to attend things that are geek-related. Um, do you want to stay on? we got about 20 yeah, more minutes. Yeah, another half hour, you said? Yeah. yeah, just another yeah, 20 yeah. minutes or I'm so. Here. I'm good. Oh, fabulous. I'm so glad to have you on for this. So, so where were we talking about? So we talked about the Belco experiment. We're all really excited for that. Um, I, I wanted to remind everyone, again, even though I talked about last week, that I wanted to congratulate Shin Godzilla uh, from Toho for winning Best Picture in Japan. So it's awesome. Hey. This is the first time a Godzilla film has ever, a kaiju film has won Best Picture. And, uh, awesome. you know, and every, everyone says that it couldn't happen to a better Toho movie. I actually haven't seen it <laughs> yet, and, but I'm really, really excited to let people know. Uh, another thing in classic horror happened today, um, Mr. Jack H. Harris, producer of The Blob, one of my favorite films of all time, died in 98 years old today. Uh, he produced a lot of movies, The Eyes of Laura, uh, and a few other films, but he's known most for, of course, Shorty A. Worse, uh, The Blob, it, which is and the son of blood, which is directed by Aaron. Remember when I gave you this uh, trivia yet last week? Who directed Son of Blob, a.k.a. Beware, Beware the Blob? You remember? Larry Hagman. Yeah, Larry Hagman. Larry Hagman, yes. So, so <laughs> rest in peace, Jack H. Harris. Uh, so, um, and where were we? I, I totally forgot everything I was going to talk about. <laughs> okay, and I also <laughs> wanted to men- mention something. Well, usually my music helps me remind me what I'm doing, but my music is, I mean, I'm literally, I'm looking at a frozen picture of IMDb, and my Facebook page won't come up. Nothing will come up. Blog top. I don't even have a cursor. Uh, it's probably my and fault I'm afraid somehow. To- I'm I'm afraid to control alt delete too because if I do that it might just send everything <laughs> to a crashing. So that's why I'm just keeping going. We can sing. We we can do little do do do. We we can put on uh, crazy ex girlfriend or something. I don't know. So. Quiet. <laughs> I'm totally prepared for that. So I do I have to remind people. All right. So one of the things I do also, and it, once again, go back to the 
previous episode, every year I've been doing since 2007 a, a contest called the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness. Here on Facebook, it's a group you join, and for the month of October, we sort people into judges, and people watch as many horror films in a theme as they can, and whoever gets the most points wins at the end of the uh, month of October on Halloween night. And I just hit, get this, 10 years. 10 years I hit. Uh, I can't believe I've been doing this wow. online. It started on my first two years were on MySpace. It moved over. I was going to say, I'm like, wait, we, we had Facebook for 10 years? And that, well, yes. Yes, we actually, we have. Yeah. yeah. But the college, it was only college in those days. You couldn't be on it. But right, uh, I was right. on MySpace. No, I, well, I was in college. I was on Facebook in 2005. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they That's moved it over years for to me. Facebook when they when they opened it to everybody. It kind of opened up the whole can- the whole contest, and it kind of blew up. I never knew. I posted it online as a lark to say, you know what? I've been doing this kind of contest with my family for years. Who wants to join? And everyone, all of a sudden, I've been doing it for ten years. So we're we're in our 10th anniversary, and we're having a a mascot horror movie madness contest right now on Facebook. Um, and I am, I have picked a, a 24 films that are competing against each other uh, to be the mascot film for the 10 year anniversary. And we are currently in uh, bracket one match number six. So the first 16, uh, first eight matches with the first 16 movies and tonight's movie madness choices are Twitch of the Death War, uh, Nerve, or a.k.a. the Bay of Blood, Mario Bava, versus, what's the other one? Oh, uh, Henry, Portrait Repo. of a Serial Killer. Serial Killer. killer. Um, with hmm. Michael Rooker. So that's the vote right now. It's very close. For a while, it looked like Henry was going to take the lead, but it turns out there's quite a few Bava fans. And, uh, well, um, my contest would not be a contest without an Italian horror film on the video nasty list, which is what uh, Bay of Blood is. Uh, we actually devoted an entire season of, of the uh, madness to video nasty, the 72 video, uh, lit, uh, through films on the video, video nasty list. Uh, so um, if you want to vote on that, it's kind of fun. We're, we got two more uh, matches this week. Uh, go to my profile. I actually have it posted on my personal profile. There's an event page happening, and I also have it in the Facebook group. But to actually play in the group in October, you must be in the group, and you actually must friend my profile page. It will not work. You cannot play the madness unless you are friends with the head entrance. Uh So uh, if you want more details, let me know. And Erin uh, Marie been playing every year. Emily, you should look into it. Maybe join the group because even when we're not doing the contest, we are film geeks and we love talking horror in that group. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about it all. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's a great group for that. So, moving on from the self plugging, uh, I do want to say <laughs> that we are full blown into media convention season now. Uh, we had our, of course, Days of the Dead was the first major one, which I got to attend. Last weekend, we were at Monster Mania. And for people, the next one is Horror Hound Weekend in Indianapolis. Which I'm going 17th to. 17th through the 90th. You oh, are. you are. I am, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Can you preview it go, for us, please? I, yeah, I, I go to that one, um, which I've been going now, I think, for like six, five years maybe or so. And I go more because um, I have a lot of friends in that area, and then I have a lot of friends from different areas that since Cincinnati is kind of this nice central location, 
Um, what started as, oh, I'm going to go see uh, Wilfred Brimley, turned into, oh, I'm going to go see my friends from Night of the Living podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, and, yeah, that's exactly so the way my convention like going has come. Nice, nice. It's more like a mini yeah. vacation with family. Yeah, it's like therapy, I call them my right? convention like, family. Yeah, <laughs> it's great because they're like leaving work and they're like, "Where are you going?" You're like, "Oh, I'm going to a convention. What kind of convention? Um, a movie convention. Where it's like, oh, I'm going to see friends because, and that's what it's become lately. So, uh, and Horror Hound is great. Have either of you ever been? No, that's I've why been to both I know of them. I went to Cincinnati. And uh, Indianapolis. I prefer Indianapolis because the atmosphere is more laid back. It's a little more personal mm-hmm. as opposed to the Civic Center style. But both of them were great. Very yeah, well run. And I volunteered for my tickets yeah. for both of those. Oh, neat, neat. The um, Cincinnati, they used to do the actual convention in that hotel. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, they moved it to the convention center um, they're, what I really like about them, and it's, I don't know if you guys go through this too, um, Liz, you might, uh, New York is really expensive. And like, when you go to anything <laughs> in New York or New Jersey, like it's expensive. And I find that everything at Horror Hound Ohio is cheap. Like both the autographs seem cheaper, the tickets seem cheaper. And like, my God, drinks are so cheap. I, li- I get to live like a queen when I go to Ohio. <laughs> Oh yeah, they oh, usually get a really no. good batch of celebrities. Um, they, so who, yeah, the they, year I went who, to Cincinnati, the year I went to Cincinnati was the year I saw Bruce Campbell, and they had Tyler Labine and Alan Tudyk from Tucker and Dale versus I, I was Evil. There. Did you see that panel? Yes, I did. I was there for that panel. I did too. We were in the same room then. Awesome. <laughs> They, you know, three world people, you know the world. Uh, so who was your draw this year besides friends? Um, well, what's funny was, like, at the last year or two, like, I don't, think I've, don't even think I've met any celebrities. This year I got excited um, because I saw, like, they were doing a whole Bates Motel group, and, I kept, and every day they were, like, adding another cast member. I'm like, oh, my God, Vera Farmiga is going to be there and I'm going to die. Oh, my God. But then that didn't happen. So uh, I am excited potentially about meeting Pollyanna McIntosh, who I've always really loved and thought was such an underrated actress, and she's done some really great stuff lately. Um, oh, she's, she's they've got Ethan Embry. They yeah, have Ethan Embry coming. Edition. Yeah, they just Tobin added Tobin Bell, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, yep. John Waters. Uh, um, I, I, ooh, John Curtis Waters Armstrong. Is exciting, but he's only Friday night, so I think he's like only doing a show. So I don't think he's interviewed him otherwise. Costas uh, yeah. Mandalore is there, and I kind of want to meet him to see how big his arms really are because they always look really big in movies. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Wolf Creek, the guy John Jarrett, who's the killer in Wolf Creek, is yeah. too. So, like I have a weird dad. I don't I know like if I'm that. alone or not. Yeah. Well, I know you're not. The disappointing thing. Oh, good. The disappointing thing is that, like, it looks like a lot of Walking Dead cast members are there, which to me kind of sucks because what it means is that the crowd gets, it just, it's a bigger crowd. Uh, A couple years ago. Looks like a Monster Squad reunion. Yes, which my husband's really excited about. He's going to do, like, the big photo op. I was always a Goonies kid, not a Monster Squad kid, so, like, I don't have the same affection, but I'm happy for him. Um, but a couple of years ago, it was Norman Reedus was there and I, Norman, like I, I'm just, I watched the walking dead, but I kind of hate it, but I still watch it. 
And I liked Norman Reedus a lot. And I was there that like year. Really nice. Were you were there that year? Okay. Yeah. Nicest <laughs> guy in the world. Everybody loves him. I, think, I don't know if it was the same year, but um, like apparently. I'm pretty sure that was, was 2014. Okay. Yeah, I think that was it. When like he was supposed to leave Saturday night, but apparently like he still had so many people on his line that he was like, you know what? Don't worry. Did he I'll stay, stay till like one o'clock in the morning? Like, yeah. That, that was that awesome. was the convention that he was there till like one o'clock in the morning and almost yep. dehydrated himself. It. He didn't eat yeah. and he was like getting yeah. sick. Like great guy, but the problem is when he's there, there's like thirty five thousand people texting to see him. And it makes my life harder because I just want to walk through. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kinda of worried that we're gonna do Like everybody's that cute, so I'm able to hit everybody else in a few oh, yeah. minutes, you know? There's that, too. I think too. that was the same, but, yeah, that was the same year that Stuart Gordon was there, and I was, like, so excited to meet Stuart Gordon, and I was, like, upset that he didn't have a line. I walked up, I'm like, oh, I like, was I'm sorry. Too. Oh, it was. It was oh, the same God. weekend they had Clint yeah. Howard. Yeah. Clint yeah. Howard had that um, that ice cream thing from ice cream, yeah. <laughs> ice cream. And um, I was helping... The guy who did the music from Jason. It's not Alan Hallworth. That's oh, the, the No, I know guy. who you mean, but I don't know his name. But yeah, I know he's He was there that weekend and there. I ended up running back and forth for him a lot because he was only charging like fifteen dollars, ten dollars for autographs. So he kept running out of fives. <laughs> <laughs> and uh David Della Roca, I ended up ordering a lot of his drinks because he was like he said you've got tits the bartender will pay attention to you more i'm going to stand here i'm going to tell you my order and then i'm just going to stay with you all night <laughs> it's also it is like the nice thing about being a woman at a horror convention is that it's like when i if i go to like wrestling shows it's the same thing it's like oh look there's no line in the ladies room it's, it's less true yeah. now and especially will be less true when like jeffrey dean morgan's there um, it was completely oh, less true at, at, at Monster Mania. The bathroom, I didn't pee for like five hours at Monster Mania. Uh, <laughs> the line never let up to the girls' bathroom. Mm. And, and I, yeah. and I now, the bathroom the wasn't that bad. The bathroom wasn't uh-huh. that bad in the Riverside Pavilion between like Kane and Adam's tables because very few people were getting back in that corner. So the bathrooms were pretty easy. <laughs> Yeah, but they were the, the bathroom near the pan, but that panel panel that bathroom was nowhere near the panels, and that's where I was. So you know, mm-hmm. I was just like, so I just basically said, oh well, I just won't drink anything for four hours. Well, no, <laughs> you know, the other thing is like, you should be drinking a lot of water because you're like it, yes. in those situations. You're walking yeah, around, I was seriously dehydrated. Yeah, I know. I, and I then know I, I, I had oh, I started out as soon as I as soon as I walked into the hotel, I got like a, went up to Tracy's room and she had the whipped cream flavored vodka that Smirnoff has and like orange oh, yep, crushed yep. soda. So I made like two of those before I even hit the convention floor on Friday. <laughs> Mine's think alike. I I started with a little Knob Creek and some uh and some Coke. Oh, it was just simple, straight to the point. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. So so great. So Horrorhound, where is Horrorhound again, Emily? This weekend? It is in Cincinnati uh, at the I think Sharonville Convention Center. It begins for uh, this Friday, March seventeenth, St. Patrick's Day, uh, and it ends on Sunday. So I'm going to be there all weekend. So if you be a, um, I don't know, if you see me there, come say hi. I don't know how to describe myself. I look like probably every other horror fan. I am short and heavy <laughs> and brunette and have glasses. So there. 
and and she'll probably have a geek T-shirt. Yeah, that describes all of us. I will have, I, yeah, and I'll have, have like a you know a Black Phillip T-shirt or a Street Fighter T-shirt, like like everybody else there. So I have yeah, mine be, in my um, street trash. Li- oh, good choice, good choice. Um, Night, Night of Living Podcast, which is a horror podcast that have been around for like since the beginning of podcasting. Uh, they're Cincinnati based, so they usually like have a table and booth there. Um, so I'm usually there with them for a lot of it. So if you are, you know, if you want to say hi to me, then if you go over there, I might be there at some point. So That's fabulous. And I incorrectly said Indianapolis there. This one is in Cincinnati. The Indianapolis one is later. Yeah. Uh, so, the Indian- so that's Yeah, Indianapolis one is in September. That's where they have yeah. Mask Fest. Yeah. That's where the vendors so are spectacular one. because people go to spend money at that convention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Indianapolis that's, that's is set up for conventions. It's on its own level of convention. Yeah, but uh, uh, but let's go back a little bit more. There's actually quite a few things happening this weekend. This is going to be the next two months are so great for geeks because, of course, we got we got uh, I have a science fiction episode next because we um, regist- um, Regeneration Who co- uh, Media Convention is next week here in Maryland, which is the big Doctor Who convention, and Power Rangers is coming out, and you know, so there's all this great stuff. And Mystery Science Theater is coming out in April, and the new season yeah. of Mystery I Science Zombie Theater is coming out. Um, in April as well, and, and, and this weekend, another thing that's coming out in the theaters is something I never thought we'd ever get, and I actually want to go see it, and it's Train Spotting 2. I, 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 I love Danny Boyle, but I was afraid of an update, but after watching the trailer, I don't think I'm afraid anymore. I want to go see this movie. Do you, how do you guys I, feel about Train Spotting? Train Spotting is one of the most hated movies for me. I cannot stand it. No, no. I mean, it was, I think it was because I truly traumatized me. It was right after I had my daughter. She was maybe about four months old and it was billed as a comedy and people told me I should see it. And I sit down and, and no, no, I, I, that's not a good new parent movie. No, no, that's not a good new parent movie. So I can't do it out again ever. Uh, what about honestly, you? I think I've only seen that movie one time. I think I saw it kind of after everybody I knew. I think I kind of lumped it in with a lot of like hip '90s movies that I just never cared about. Um, and I think I saw it and I liked it. I was entertained by it. I it was back when I really did like Danny Boyle. Also, when I was a big, um, I mean, 28 Days Later, obviously. But uh, I will I say, however, that I do like of. the soundtrack. Yeah, well, soundtrack, soundtrack is I feel like I'm not cool enough for, in a sense, because <laughs> it just feels like a movie that's so cool, and I'm like, yeah, I like it. Then I feel like I'm like I'm faking liking it, aren't I? But um, I think it's, it'll be it tries a little too hard. Just a little too hard. It tries, mm-hmm. but you know, but there's some really good things in it. I mean, first of all, you got Robert Carlyle in his breakout performance, oh, yeah. and uh, oh, I after love that movie, you you know, yeah, it's full he, Monty. He's great, you know. Um, and there's also, like, I did love the soundtrack. I actually think the soundtrack is ultimately better than the movie it's in because it's a good slice of what I was listening to at that time period in the 90s. I was into that. I was into some electronic music, and I was into a lot of ska at that time period. So, I, you know, so listening to Orbital and Underground and all those people, I really do think that's an important time, you know, piece. Now, 
it's it is a bit of a hip movie. Like I said, it tries too hard. But if you read the book, it really actually is an honestly good adaptation. It's kind of like High Rise. You know how you guys ultimately on your show are like, this mm-hmm. movie is a really good adaptation, but it's a really hard story to like be approachable to, yeah, right? Yeah, it's kind of yeah. very approachable. Yep. It, it, transpotting the book is the same way because it's actually written phonetically, which is actually kind of mm. amazing. So you're reading the Scottish accent as you're reading the book. So it's a very difficult read, but it's actually yeah. the movie totally fits that vibe because there's times in that movie where you have no idea what they're saying to each other, yet you completely <laughs> understand what's happening, you know, especially like in a bar scene or something, you know. So uh, so I, I actually am really curious about train spotting too, and, and I actually never want Danny Boyle to fail. I don't think every film he's ever done is – is great, but every film he's done has had something to offer. And I, I still agree. think yeah. he has some of the best cinematography out there. I mean, his eye yeah. is, in composition is great. He, I mean, Shallow Grave, flaws aside, is a great looking mm-hmm. movie. Uh, 28 Days Later is a great looking movie. Um, you know, uh, and, and Cecilian Murphy is beautiful. Oh, I mean, yeah. you want to photo. He is so beautifully photographed in that movie, and, and you know, <laughs> yeah. so uh, you know, so I, I really want to root Danny Boyle on. So let's keep our fingers crossed. So, uh, moving on, I do have a concert choice on the list, and the reason why I have it, and this is the 31st of March, so it's a little ahead of our time, but I thought I mentioned it anyways. Um, I'm going to a concert on the 31st. I'm going to see the Oakley Doakleys open for Black Sabbath and Metalachi at the uh, Black Cat in D.C. Uh, Black Sa- Mac Sabbath is a band that dresses up as Ronald McDonald and does Black Sabbath. Sabbath covers. Uh, Metalachi <laughs> is a mariachi band that covers metal Metallica songs, and Oklahdokleys is a is a metal thrash band that writes all their lyrics based on uh, Ned Flanders. Ned so Flanders, I've seen those pictures. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and That's they have. A, cool. And I've played it on the show before, and it's called White Wine Spritzer which is actually something that um, that Ned Flanders says on the episode where he gets drunk with uh, Homer in Vegas and they end up waking up uh, married to married, women. They don't yeah. know who they are. Yeah, so he goes, I'll have a white wine spritzer. That's him letting his hair down. Uh, so <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this show. I mean, whoever decided to put those three bands together as a lineup, I want to kiss them <laughs> now. And, and it was cool because I was talking to one of the vendors at Days of the Dead um, at Pizza Party Printing, one of my favorite T-shirt vendors. And it turns out that he actually, his band opened for Max Sabbath at one point, and they actually, um, they, they will be selling, and Oakley Oakley's bought a bunch of their pins, and they'll be selling them as merch at that, at that show. So Pizza Party plan, uh, Printing, shout out for some merch at their table. Uh, so I'm, I'm really pleased with that. So that's why I brought that I own out. several of their shirts. I love them. Oh, me too. I, they are absolutely one of my favorite. Oh, not only that. Shirt. But there is there is one concert that was announced and tickets went on sale this past weekend that if I'd had the money I would have bought for. And I swear, if there's anybody out there that wants to buy me a birthday present, this is it. The Pesh Mode's coming back to the United States. They have a concert in September oh, that's right. in Washington, D.C. Oh, I want to go so bad. <laughs> this is like my dream t- this is like the top of my bucket list item mm-hmm. 
Depeche yeah. Mode. I have never seen them in concert, actually. So but we get a lot of good stuff here. Oh, and L.A. needs to mark their calendars. That reminds me, uh, starting March 30th, guys, mark it. Get it. 10 a.m., March 30th, Pacific Standard Time. Uh, single tickets go on sale for the L.A. version of Hamilton. So if you want to have a chance to buy one ticket, like an orphan ticket, by yourself, sitting by yourself to see the show, but you get a good price, that's how you do it. So uh, L.A. people, get ready. You'll have a chance to go at uh, Hamilton. They already opened a brand-new block of tickets here in New York City. Uh, if you want to get in for $600, you can get in. Uh, but yeah. well, I'm not doing that anytime soon. So, yeah, uh, yeah no. Uh, ma- Matter of fact, they just announced a second leg of the Hamilton tour. So there's not only one national tour. There's two simultaneous legs of national tours of Hamilton going across the United States. The one that see, though, is the one with Roy O'Malley, though, who is in um, – he plays uh, King George in the uh, first national tour. That's the one that's coming through here, too. Yay. Uh, so uh, Roy O'Malley was also – he was the highlight of the Book of Mormon. If you've never seen the Book of Mormon, he gets to sing the song Turn It Off, which is my favorite song in the whole Brooklyn musical. Uh, I just so, saw that a few look- weeks ago. Ah, how did you see it? Uh, did you like it? I did, yeah. I loved it. Um, I uh. – had wanted to see it for a while. I treated my husband and my in-laws were visiting, so I'm like, we're going to go see Book of Mormon, and I really enjoyed it. I absolutely love that show. I've seen it twice. Yep. I got to see it once on Broadway with Josh Gad and Royal O'Malley. That's the second time I mentioned on the show today. And then I saw yep. it again. I took my mother-in-law and her brother to see it here when it came to the Hippodrome in Baltimore. So, uh, you know, it's just a delightfully great, raunchy, wonderful piece. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but, you know, but I'm right now I'm obsessed with Hamilton because I'm also, my, my, my day job is archivist at the United States Archives here in D.C. I'm actually at the flagship archives. And so Hamilton comes around. You can imagine the geekery in me just went to 50,000. <laughs> so yeah. it's everything well, I want in a musical. History, right. hip-hop, dancing, costumes. It's, just, that's, it's, it's the sweet spot for me. So, I mean, I I've even read the Chertow book. Okay, that's how crazy that is. So, you know, we'll see Hamilton at some point when I can afford it. <laughs> so yep. I keep trying the lottery. It doesn't happen. It went from a, <laughs> I hear that well, a lot. It went, from, it went from a 2% chance to a 4% chance now. Okay. <laughs> so we have a little better chance of getting in. So, so let's go to something that's a little bit closer to home and more accessible in Hamilton, DVD releases, which come out every Tuesday. So I mentioned them, right? Uh, uh, this is the week that most of the other not-so-famous Oscar films drop on DVD, and that includes Elle, which is Paul Verhoeven's, uh, you know, uh, Rape yeah, Revenge movie. Uh, I'm so excited. I still haven't seen it, and I love every single Paul Verhoeven movie that's ever existed. I actually, at the same, but Numathon, I saw Dreamgirls. They played Zwartback, Black Book, his last movie, and I just flipped for my wig for that and made me an instant Clarence Townhausen fan. Oh, yeah. Clarence Townhausen is a beast in that movie, and, and, you know, so every time I – Seer in Game of Thrones. I'm like, yeah, but I've seen you in Black Book, and you're cooler in that movie. She's a badass actress. 
Yes, I love her to death. And I love Black Death, too, which she was also in with Christopher Smith, who has a new film out, by the way. I have to review that. Christopher Smith has a detour, I think it's called. So Chris Smith is probably my favorite living horror act, horror director right now. So I, I really want to see his movie. Um, Passengers also dropped. But there's with, another uh, one called that, The Cure for Wellness, right? That's out yeah, that moment. came out a couple of weeks ago. Queen, Queenie reviewed it on the show. She liked it. Um, it's kind of like Shutter Island Light. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, I totally actually am curious about that. Uh, Passengers came out on DVD also at like Jennifer Lawrence and I think is it Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds, right? And you know it looks really pretty. It was nominated for an Oscar, but it's getting mixed reviews in the storyline. I still haven't seen it. Uh, Collateral Beauty, which with Will Smith, and a lot of people are loving to hate on this film. Uh, but there is like this core group of people that actually think this film is fantastic. I've met a few, uh, so I, I <laughs> I'd probably be one of those people. I'm I'm <laughs> sentimental that way. <laughs> So um, Fences Trot, which was like almost one uh, Denzel Washington Best Actor this year. Man, um, and then he pissed like, when he didn't win. Oh, was he mad when he didn't win? He thought he had oh, it. He, looked, he thought he had it for sure. Well, the look in his – I don't know if it was that he didn't win or that Casey Affleck won or that Casey Affleck was Yeah, like I think saying, it was like, the Casey Affleck controversy. It might have been. I hope so. Good, good for him It's if like it if I'm good going for... to lose to somebody, why is it Casey? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but he did not look happy when Casey Affleck was giving his speech and good for Denzel, good for Brie Larson for kind of standing there sullenly behind him. We talked about this on the Oscar recap show about how like Brie Larson has been forced to give awards to walking, you know, give him awards. Casey all award season. Yeah. All award season because of how I did watch the room after we talked about that as well. Oh, how was it? I still haven't seen it yet. Oh my, oh my it's gosh! Really it is, it's really good. It's it's powerful. That's good adaptation to like a good examination of an adaptation because it's the novelist wrote the screenplay, and you could see like the choices she made and how they make sense for a film. It's it's a it's a good compare and contrast, I think. And that kid is so fantastic. Oh, so good. Yeah. It it's. It just the right amount of like innocence from his perspective mm-hmm. and um, being shielded from what was really going on in that room and then yeah. how he adapts to life outside once they've escaped. Yep. Yeah. I'll have to see it at some point. I still haven't seen it. It's in my queue, but as you know, we all have these big piles of queues that we always try to get. Oh, they definitely deserve do, their so. Oscars. Yeah, uh, I'm, I believe it in a heartbeat. Uh, it's such an interesting story in the first place. Uh, there's some other film. I actually don't know this movie, but it had a huge cast. It's called Solace. It stars Anthony Hopkins. It came out on DVD today. I have nothing about it. I, I unfortunately can't call up the notes to tell you who's in this movie because I had it queued up because it was like an astonishing, like huge amount of people in this film. Uh, but something about a serial killer on the hunt and Anthony Hopkins is looking for him. So, I mean, pretty much I'm sold there. Uh, so, uh, so look for Solace as well. And last but not least on DVD, and I'm hoping – Oh my God! I am hoping to have these girls on, ne- or ladies on next 
month, uh, like the, maybe the, our fourth, our April fourth episode. Um, Ethereum Film Festival's uh, flagship featured film, The Love Witch, drops on TV. Oh yeah! So cool. if you haven't seen it, Sexy Witches. We're all about Sexy Witches here on the Archivist for Bets uh, on Sexy Witches podcast. Uh, I met Stacy Pippi at. Um, uh, Days of the Dead. She's the head of the programmer for the Viseria Film Festival, and she's delightful. And I fell in love with a couple of her movies. And uh, Don Fields is the director of, of one of those films, which is a, a short with Landric, uh, Lance Hendrickson that's just so good. Um, and uh, uh, so I'm hoping to have those ladies on next week, next month. Uh, but go watch The Love Witch. Not everyone loves The Love Witch, but there's a lot of really cool style to it. And the performance is really good. Like the lead actress, she's excellent in the movie. And so, and I, you know, I like to make sure that these smaller films get noticed. So you can watch uh, Love Witch on, on uh, Netflix, I believe, uh, and DVD. So hooray, hooray. Um, really? Is there anything Did they finally put it to- on Netflix? Yeah. That's, that's it. I am done. I wanted to give a shout out, Emily, to your co-host, Christina Makepeace, again, because I love her. She's delightful. She makes me she laugh. Is. You know? Oh, my gosh. She is so funny. She has no idea how funny she is, does she? She doesn't. No, no, she doesn't, but she is. No, she, she's got a natural sense of humor, like you both do, but she just says something out of the blue, and I'm just rolling. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I, I just absolutely adore her. So give a shout out, and please let's plug your show again, please. And and when you where you can find it, you literally drop cat people today. I saw that. Yes, I was really we did. Excited. I say this as my cat like just tried to claw me. Um, you can find us. We're on iTunes. Uh, you just look up the feminine critique, and we should come up pretty quickly. I think. I think we. Ha- I think our like official website is feminine. The feminine critique Tumblr. Uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, I think we are on Twitter. Our handle is Feminine Podcast. I am on Twitter as Deadly Dolls. Uh, and I also have a blog, DeadlyDollsHouse.com, where stuff can be written and such. So, yeah, those are yeah. Great. And, and so listen to her show. Listen to her archives because their archives are great, uh, especially around Christmas time. And um, we will be back on in a week, uh, only a week. So the next episode is a week from today, and we will be talking uh, Star Wars Disney because there's a lot of moves um, there, and Aaron Kogan's going to have a preview of the Disney um, upgrades to Tomorrowland while we're waiting for the oh, Disneyland neat. Star Wars land to open. Uh, we will also talk about Sentai and the new Power Rangers movie starring Brian Kenston and uh, Elizabeth Banks. And I'm hoping to have Brittany Goldilocks. Uh, she's also a podcaster from the uh, BNS Hour. Uh, I met her at Days of the Dead. She was on a panel with me about podcasting. And we're gonna, she's a huge Doctor Who fan. And, and Dollar Bin Eric Polk will also be on to talk Dollar, uh, Doctor Who, who's also a huge Doctor Who fan, as we all know. He's been on the show before and a Star Wars geek. So thank you, everyone, for being on. Emily, thank you for being on the show again. I'm My so pleasure. happy thank to finally have me. you on. Come back yeah, on any time. I'm going to bring – I can't wait to have you on, and I want Christina to come on at some point too. So uh, much love to you both. So, thank you. Uh, no, Aaron, I very much Aaron, enjoyed it. Oh, man. Erin Marie, thank you again, and it was a lovely weekend. Thank you for sharing your room with us, even with the misadventures that we didn't talk about on air. <laughs> Let's just say there was a lot of You're misadventures welcome. not on air. Oh, well, they were so about. fun, There's though. No- uh-huh. It's naughty, but it was fun. So we had a great time. <laughs> and 
And so once again, uh, come back on the show, listen to us next week. I really hope that when I close out the show, it still exists afterwards because I still can't shut anything down. (laughs) So there won't be any music tonight. I'm just going to shut it down. Hopefully I don't lose this episode. Everyone keep your fingers crossed. And uh, so good film hunting and blessed be. And uh, we'll see you next week. Much love to everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.